Welcome to today's episode of The Growth Zone. I am Christian Bartsch. What is the core benefit of listening to this show? Business leaders in corporate and privately held companies gain insights into trends and strategies that provide them with a competitive advantage in the marketplace. Each episode focuses on areas such as marketing, sales, innovation, or funding that is absolutely critical to the growth of companies, whether they are startups or corporate global players. Where management needs to juggle the challenges of market entries or knowing how to navigate the uncertainty of disruptive developments, mind feeding is where clarity evolves and helps solving organizational challenges. For those who listen to the entire episode, I have a special surprise gift. I'm also working on some great guests that are industry leaders in management, innovation, and marketing. And we will be talking in the future much more about the important trends that are affecting the way we manage our companies in the demand to being sustainable, more environmentally and socially friendly, and becoming more empathic leaders. So let's get started on today's topic. Hello, and in today's episode, we are going to talk about the topic of multi-platform being the future of programmers. Now, let's consider it. We have devices, when we're building software, we have devices that are based on iOS, iPhones, Android, all sorts of different brands, whether it's Google, phones, Samsung Galaxy, and so on. And on the other hand, we have desktop devices, notebooks or whatever. And so we have Mac OS and we have Windows. In this consideration, now I'm, I'm leaving Linux out of it, but that's a, a separate topic because it wouldn't match to what we are discussing now. But the key thing is, of course, when you're thinking of multi-platform, it's not that we're just building an app and the thing is just for itself. An app usually will have some kind of server in the back. Unless, of course, it's an app that does something simple like a calculator or something different and doesn't need to interact with any kind of data stored in a database outside of our devices. So there are different kinds of platforms that we can use. Nowadays, there's so many other options to programming with code. We have options like Flutterflow and many other kinds of systems. So, in today's episode, I would like to look at our options that we have if we program an app. And there are a multitude of options there. But we'll focus on .NET MAUI, which is the, let's say, the new version of .NET San Marin. So that's what we're going to talk and compare it as well with Flutterflow. Now, I've been using both systems. And Flutterflow has, of course, one big advantage you can build a lot out of the box. So there are these templates, there are all these different kinds of systems and features and things that you can use. There's, of course, a free license that 
has some basic stuff to play around and get a bit familiar with it. And if you buy the subscription model, you have access to more and more templates, ready-made databases, and so on. In contrast, if you are saying, I want to have something really customized and really special, not so out of the box, you might consider to use software like uh, Xcode to program your iOS app. Then you might have uh, Google Studio to program your Android system. On the other hand, if you want to do something similar like Flutterflow, but have it all on your desktop or so, then you are best advised to go and use, of course, something like now .NET MAUI, which works in Visual Studio. And we can use that then to develop our apps. That means as well, of course, we use that as well to develop as well the back end. So what's running on a server where we have maybe some kind of processes running at the back, some kind of things that are happening, databases, images, and so on and so on. We don't need to load the whole kind of information onto the device of our users because that's what the point is there. We are building a complex app that does certain things and it can communicate with the system and that works. You have similar things as well if you look at apps that work like Twitter, Facebook, Snap, uh, Snap and so on and so on. Yeah, even uh, apps like uh, Spotify and so on. So we always have client server bases just in a different kind of context than what we used to know like 20 years ago when we used to program. And many of those of you who haven't got that background, haven't got those years of age, and now considering I want to program something, I want to build an app, or I want to go into a career of programming servers and maybe apps or both or one or another. Yeah, it can even be that there's a team of people who are programming software using .NET MAUI, and each of them has a different task. So maybe one of them is doing the server item, and the other one is maybe totally focusing on certain elements of the desktop apps or of the mobile apps. Maybe even because it's so much stuff that they have to do, maybe somebody is maybe just building some little snippets in there, some little code units that they then integrate. They integrate like a library or so, and that's what makes it nice and interesting for teams. Of course, if you are doing it on your own or you may be working for a company where you are the only person who does this kind of task, then things are very different. So speaking of that, of course, when you consider, hmm, okay, if I learn all this, because it sounds interesting, I want to go into that, you might, of course, consider, okay, how do I learn it? And what happens after I've learned the skills? I have to find a job, logically, of course. You could alternatively, of course, start your own business. That's as well possible, because when you have the skills of programming, you can either work for an employer or be a freelancer or start your own company, programming company, software company, whatever. Yeah, that's all possible. I've done all these things. So I know the variations of things that you have available and the things that you can do great and things that can go wrong. And that's how life is. It's up and down and you just need to ride the wave the best way you can do and just keep focused on what is really important for you.
And that's like, for instance, my cat at the background, you're hearing something, clipping, clapping. That's my cat having fun with our water fitter. So everyone finds something that they like to do. And she's decided now to play with the water filter and having some fun whilst I'm doing this recording for you guys and ladies. So it's a beautiful day today and it's really nice and sunny. So let's go a little bit deeper. Now, we've seen we have on one hand flutter flow that we can use online. It doesn't matter whatever kind of platform you have. I mean, whether you have a Linux computer, a Windows computer, a Mac, doesn't matter. You can do that. With .NET MAUI, it's a little bit different. They only have the option of working on Mac or Windows. And traditionally, at the moment, the best option then would be to use, when it's Windows, Windows 11 now. Most of the uh, Macs, of course, the newest version, I'd suggest having plenty of memory as well, and of course, disk space. Because if you're doing different projects, or especially you're learning, you're trying different stuff out, you might be downloading some examples and playing around with them, or even building. I, for instance, have one computer here under my desktop, under my desk, that has uh, a Microsoft SQL database running. It has Windows 10 for testing. And these features, and then I have several other workstations that have Windows 10, Windows 7, and so on. They do different kind of things. It can simulate or operate certain things. And on my desk here, I have a Dell notebook standing. But I'm getting now a new computer delivered soon, which has a different kind of setup. It has a core, not a core 9, but the Raisin version of the core 9. And a very good, powerful graphic card. Now, why do I need graphic cards to be powerful in certain constellations? If I'm doing something, even if it's video recording or special software that has to do special computations, I might need to use GPU processing. Now, the challenge is, if I am now building the software for the server and I want to use GPU, I have a, usually a problem. Why? Because if the software eventually is running on a server, a classical server hardware, servers do not usually have good GPUs because nobody's looking at them. They're just doing stuff like my cat is now jumping around and having fun as well here. They're just doing something. And unless we pay attention to them, they do what they ever like or try to annoy us. And it's with servers the same thing. We have to maintain them, keep them maintained. But the monitors are just poor and basic and nobody's watching them. If in contrast, you know that you are going to build server infrastructure that uses special graphic cards or other kind of processing cards that is much more powerful, than a standard CPU that anyway runs the system, then you have an advantage to be able to focus on your development using as well part of GPU capabilities. Now, many people in the past have ignored GPUs because they thought, ah, who needs it? But certain things, you do need it, and it's just too weak. And when you do like, for instance, video editing and so on, you can choose as well to use your GPU. And there you can see it is the best example how software can 
speed, it's processing, if you're using the GPU. The GPUs have good processing capacity. They are often not fully used, yeah, because showing some normal screen on a screen doesn't need something special. But, of course, there are many different other alternatives that we can do. Now, let's consider what we can do. Think about it. Now, we could, of course, go and start looking at designing first our software idea. Because it might be that .NET Maui is not the right system to build our apps. We have to consider, look, what we're doing, what do we need, what kind of infrastructure, what are the backends, do we need servlets and other kind of things. We have to first map it out and then think, okay, what do I need? What's the best fit, Flutterflow or .NET MAUI? And I've used both, and both are great systems to use. Now, the thing is, of course, you have to think, what is relevant to my particular project? Because it might be that the next project you're working on you're not going to do it with that platform. You're going to do it with a different platform because that is much more fitting to what you have to achieve. So let's think one step further ahead. Once we've decided on whichever platform, let's say .NET MAUI, to keep it easy, we have to consider, of course, our platform on which we are programming. I mean, our PC, our notebook, whatever. I used to use an HP Workstation Z230 with 42 gigabytes of RAM. For that time, that computer is now, I think, eight years old. When I bought it and configured it and, and set it all up, it was extremely powerful. Of course, that was a time when I was using Visual Studio 2012, I think. Then I upgraded always in like two years later to the next version because I needed certain libraries that they had to, of course, update themselves as well. And eventually I would have the newest version. Now I have here a notebook from Dell that has 64 gigabytes of RAM, good CPU and so on, but the GPU is, well, not even good enough to remove the background of my picture if I'm doing some video streaming or explaining something to somebody and I don't want to, them to see my background or I'm using my green screen behind me because I want to explain or show something, yeah, then that's rather a pain in the neck. So I have to go and switch to a different system. For that, I have a, one of my, reusing one of my Z620 uh, workstations from HP and I'm using that. But of course, they are now more or less <laughs> Gladly outdated, even with 42 gigabytes of RAM and a 4 gigabyte uh, GPU uh, that once cost like 4,000 euros, it is no longer really relevant to today. And when you go and order a new computer, best pick for streaming and kind of things, maybe even a gaming computer because you've got good processing, good GPU, and all different things. Now, you can even use that as well for programming if you need GPU. If you do not need GPU, and let's presume that in most cases people are not using GPU to program, then 
a standard notebook is totally enough, especially if you're starting out. Core 3 can be a Raisin 5, can be totally enough. And 16 gigabytes of RAM, okay, 8 is as well, okay. And later on, you can always upgrade. You can always buy online uh, RAM modules at a much cheaper price, whether you go on to Amazon or other places. There are many places where you can get upgrades very cheap and websites where you can check what can I put in, what are the modules fitting to my computer. Nevertheless, of course, replacing your CPU becomes a headache in most of the cases, and you don't really want to do that with a notebook. If you have a desktop, then you have, of course, other options that's more flexible. Nevertheless, if you can avoid touching a running system, only upgrade things that cannot really go that wrong, but changing CPU can become a problem. My workstations, I can upgrade to two CPUs, but I have never done it. They have the whole modules, they have the settings, everything there. I just need to put a second CPU, but there is no point to me doing that. Because during programming, I do certain kind of processing, but not this kind of processing. Now, let's think one step further. Now, you've, you've got a decent computer to do your programming. And because with Don and Maui, we're doing the programming most of the time on our computer. We have databases, maybe we've got even Docker running, SQL Server in the background because we need to build some tables. You can even use XML database, I've done that too, that's really fun, but there are limitations, or SQLite, etc. There are many different kind of database variations that you can use. Now, you have to, of course, decide what you want to program. So if you've already got a project that you want to do, that's easy, because you've already decided you want to do this project with this environment, on this hardware, with this software. Fine, let's get started. If you haven't, that's a topic for a different opp uh, opportunity. Or you can read one of my blog posts that I will as well be highlighting in the future. But nevertheless, I need to hurry up, because my cat, I think, wants to get out and have some fun outside. But before I end this part of the podcast, let's consider what do I do to learn skills? Because, of course, installing software and doing all this kind of stuff is great. But if I don't know how to go about it, how do I get started? Now, you can, of course, do different things. Buy a book. Why not? I read a lot of books. Just before, uh, in December to January, I read, I think, I think 12 books. <clears throat> And most of them were either business, they were programming, electronics, and, oh, I read one book. I'm currently not finished yet. I'm reading one book from Jackson Galaxy about cats. Total cat mojo. Great book. Nevertheless, that one I haven't finished because, uh, yeah, I've got other stuff to do. So I gladly learn as well how to handle my cat. Uh, even that, you have to learn. You can do it technically or not by books. Alternatively, of course, is going online, looking at YouTube videos and so on. Yes, certain things are quite good with that, but there are limitations. At a certain point, you notice, hmm, now I know everything, but it's not enough. The next option would go and, for instance, uh, book a programming class. 
okay, I have to travel somewhere and go somewhere. It becomes a huddle if you've got something you're taking care of, you've got a child or a cat. A dog as well can be a pain in the neck if they decide, they say, hey, I want, I'm here as well. Hey, somebody has to take care of me. Yeah, I have to do that now for today. Other days I don't need always to do, but uh, now as I'm recording, I have some little issues because my cat wants to get out. And I want to give you some good value for your time. Now, let's think, what alternatives do we have? So we've done books, we've done videos, we've done physical classes. I mean, we go to a school and learn there. Yeah, we have to travel expenses, we have more expenses because, of course, we have to eat somewhere something, and that costs more than doing your own cooking at home. That's why home office has certain kind of advantages and disadvantages compared to working in an office. And uh, when we look for training, it's not much different. The advantage, of course, is if you're doing it online, then you save all the time. You don't have to commute all the time. You don't have to stand somewhere and wait to buy your food and that. And uh, you can learn at your pace. Now, if you don't want to do it all on your own and you're not a person that needs to have interaction with other people and so on, like a trainer and other students, and maybe do some work, uh, let's say workshops, group work and, and breakouts and sessions and so on, then a virtual class might be more for you because you can get together with more people who are like-minded and want to do the same thing and might even be interested in future, maybe even to work together with. Yeah, and that's a great thing because you get to learn other people, you exchange. Everybody has other kind of backgrounds, experience, knowledge, and you help each other and you learn together. It's more fun. If you are more introvert, then you might want to have a different kind of way of education, maybe less group thing, then you maybe do a self-paced training. That's good up to a certain level because if you have a question, you have to go and send emails, other kind of stuff, and you're stuck. I would prefer, in most cases, would say group training makes more sense where you can learn, but without having the feeling you're going to lose something if you are sick one day. Yeah. So if it's designed well and you can actually catch up with the loss, because let's say you get the flu and you're out for three, four days, you can't really learn. You can, of course, listen, but honestly, you're not going to take it much. And if your kid is sick, it's the same problem. You have to run up back and forth and take care of your kid or your dog, or your cat, whatever, it just doesn't work that much. If everybody is healthy and fit and fine, yeah, you quickly just give your cat some food, let it out, get it in again. It's a minute or two, but you don't really lose much. And if the situation is different, then you might have to do things differently. So look at how you can do these things and learn to find ways to benefit from that. And that's why look for these things. There are many options as well if you're thinking, okay, I want to do a training, I want to do it well, I want to learn from somebody, I want to learn it with other people and so on. Comes, of course, the next question, how do I pay for it? Where do I get the money? Yeah, and there are many options. Yeah? There in the US, many options, in Europe, many options, Canada, UK, Germany, and so on. As an example, in the US, there are different companies that offer training and then you can make contacts with them and then you can, later on, once you've got a job, you can 
pay them a certain percentage of your salary back to repay. In certain countries, that is legally not allowed. And for instance, in Germany, you can uh, do, you can either pay full or you can pay in installments. Or alternatively, if you are, for instance, currently unemployed or you've been self-employed, but eventually notice you have to reskill, you have to learn new skills, new programming skills, and so on, then there are different options that you can use where even the government goes and helps you out with funds. Either they give you a loan or they give you an education voucher. And the education voucher has a nice sidekick that the whole training or a certain degree of training is paid. Even if you are still working for a company and the company has to uh, put you on short time because revenue is down and so on, even that time when you're sitting at home, you do not have to sit at home being bored, looking at the wall and thinking, what am I supposed to do with myself? You can even then get an education voucher and that voucher might pay 100% or a certain percent of the training costs. The thing is, with these voucher trainings, is that only certain certified courses are allowed to be used for that voucher. So the courses have to be certified for these education vouchers. It's not enough if you go to some school and they do some kind of training where you then can get some kind of certification. That makes no point. It has to be certified for being accepted with that education voucher. So you have multiple ways of doing that. In the UK, there are different programs as well from uh, the Department of Employment, from NHS and so on. I'll be going into more depth in future as well in those topics, but I hear my cat playing with the mouse that's squeaking around. So it's time for me to take pay some attention to her as well. So enjoy this episode and we'll be talking soon again a little bit more in depth about not only .NET, Futterflow or other kind of educations, how you can reskill or upskill your trainings and so on, your knowledge and that. Because the thing is, for certain jobs, you do not need to have a university degree or certain certifications. It has to be relevant. And I see that at the moment, especially with the topic of neural networks, it is so different because you have to have specialized knowledge for that and you cannot get it in the way you expect it from certain education providers. But that's the topic for a different subject and let's close it for today and have a wonderful day. See you soon. My name is Christian Bartsch.
I hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Girl Zone show with Christian Bartsch. Thank you for listening. Please leave a review or rating here on iTunes or on podchaser.com. If you found the content helpful, then share it on social media, please. I would like to invite you to follow our show so that you don't miss the upcoming interviews with leaders in the market. Simply visit the website meetchrisbarch.com. I will be adding the link into the description of this episode so that you just need to click on that link. On my website, you will also find the links to free templates. If you're looking for the books I have published on marketing, innovative technology, and sustainable business strategies, just simply click on publication to find my book list. The world is constantly changing in response to trends and events. As a business leader, you need to bypass the sandbanks that can hurt your performance. For those of you who are signing up to follow the show, I have reserved a few copies of my ultimate guide on content marketing and an ESG-compliant cheat sheet. This is the strategy that got me top corporate clients like McDonald's, Linde, Hewlett-Packard, Deutsche Bank, Volvo and many others. That strategy has been working for over 10 years and also got me contacts with police, transport authorities, military and several universities and even leading research institutes. For sure, it also worked wonders as it got me many small, medium-sized enterprises and international clients around the world. The link to sign up to our free broadcasting service and the guide is at meetchrisbarch.com. That will give you access to the most recent versions of my ultimate guide on content marketing. You can follow me on Twitter by using the Twitter handle CapBarch. It's spelled C-A-P-B-A-R-T-S-C-H. Yes, that is C-A-P-Barch or spelled Charlie Alpha, Papa, Bravo, Alpha, Romeo, Tango, Sierra, Charlie, Hotel. 